Hello, Lib Dem Podcast. We were just about to press send on our latest video all about the trials and tribulations of Zahawi and everything else that's going on. And obviously news broke this morning that he's been sacked. So I will keep uh, the episode as is. But obviously this is just the latest update and the curse of when you do a topical podcast programme. Anyway, we'll see you soon and enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome. Thank you everyone for tuning in and watching to the Lib Dem podcast. My name is John Potter. I am the leader of the Preston Liberal Democrats and I produce the Lib Dem podcast. And with me is one of our founding members is Sir Richard Kemp, uh, the leader of the Liverpool Lib Dems and general good guy. Hello, Richard. Hi, and thanks for promoting me. If you could uh, pass that on to Ed Davey, I'd be most grateful. <laughs> yeah, well, it's only a matter of time. You know, it's... it's <laughs> It's like it's like Zahawi being sacked. It's only a matter of time. And that is almost the perfect segue, Richard, into our first topic is Nadim Zahawi. Because as we record this, he still hasn't been sacked. Yet, Richard, I think it's worthwhile going. And for I think most of our listeners will know what's happened. You know, he was found to have not paid enough tax. He was then fined by HMRC um, uh, for doing so. And HMRC then came out and said, look, we don't find people for innocent mistakes. And so it's yeah. just snowballed and snowballed over this last week. Yeah. Yet, for some, uns- for some reason I can't quite fathom, he hasn't yet been sacked. What's your reading of it, Richard? I think he's got too much on the others to uh, get sacked, uh, probably. First of all, let's pay tribute to Sarah Olney on the uh, Select Committee, who was the one that asked the killer question uh, about innocent mistakes and do you find people for it, basically. Uh, and that was what hit the headlines. So we might only have 14 MPs, but they're now out to land a punch considerably bigger than that. Why is uh, he still there? Because I think the Tories have no sense of shame, have have they? Uh, I think Philip Hammond made it cl- quite clear that he wouldn't have accepted such a position. And although you might say he's never going to be in that position again, uh, I think that that's right. Uh, over the last three years, it started deteriorating, actually, not three years ago, but with the referendum, and they got away with blatant lying and misuse of money and misuse of information. Uh, and since then, lying and greed and sorting out things for their mates has just become part of the DNA of the Tory party in a way that it wasn't. I mean, I can remember not that long ago when the Tories were an honourable party that I disagreed with. But... I just think they're sleazebags now. So do you think, but do you think that, because when Sunak came in, obviously he's had all the Boris Johnson years, which he has to take some blame for because he was his right-hand man during time of it. He must have known one of the biggest problems hitting the Tories was a lack of trust and the growing sense of sleaze that was about. And then I'm not even taking into account the Liz Truss mini debacle that uh, happened, but actually, you know, Sunak needed a break from that. And that was his speech at Downing Street saying, you know, he wanted to do it more honourable and things like that. Why, why wouldn't you just cut him out? I mean, I think even if you were, even if you liked the guy, I, I mean, I, surely the Tories care about self-preservation as much. Yeah, but uh, I, I have a feeling uh, the Tories are hoping that everything will get better and people will forget. And therefore, they don't want to disturb too many people in their own party, though it's a moot point as to what too many and how many is on uh, at various sides of the debate. 
there have been, of course, um, Tory MPs coming out calling for uh, Zahawi uh, to to go. But I just think greed is endemic. I mean, what's happened to the moan woman? I haven't heard of her since it all broke. Is she on a boat somewhere? Is she bought British Honduras or Belize, as it's now called? Uh, where is she? Uh, and she's very kindly said she's not going to go to the House of Lords. I don't think she should be allowed to go to the House of Lords, actually. She's I never think, made a point. Yeah, we, we need a, a mechanism for taking sleaze bags out of the House of Lords, and I'd start with her. What, what's curious about this whole thing, that one of the problems Johnson got himself into, and Johnson had no shame whatsoever about any of this stuff, um, is that instead of just ripping the plaster off, he let things drip feed out. And and, and the biggest one was Partygate. When yeah. Partygate first happened, he was always going to take a hit for that. But if he had just fessed up straight away, he'd probably yeah. still be prime minister. But yeah. the fact he, he, he denied it, then denied it, then said there was a party, but he didn't know about it. Then he turned out he was at the party. Then he turned out he had a drink at the party. And then and then he turned well, out... Someone was bonking at the party, apparently. Yeah. I don't think it was him, but... <laughs> yeah, someone was throwing up in the corridors and all that <laughs> sort of thing. It just progressively got worse. And that's exactly what's happening now, is you're getting more and more things going out about... Uh, and so now it's snowballed into every single minister's being asked... Have you ever had a fine from HMRC? Uh, and, and then everyone that says, oh, it's, uh, you know, personal tax issues. And the one thing that Sunak doesn't want, because he's a man of considerable wealth, and he might have be, got that wealth entirely legitimately, no skeletons whatsoever, but you don't want someone looking at how rich you are when you're a man of considerable wealth trying to be a politician in a cost of living crisis. It just makes the situation worse. Yeah, so you've got him, you've got Zahawi, you've got well, you've got a whole series of them. I, I think that's one of uh, Sunak's problems. Where would you stop? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. Um, there are clearly lots of very self-entitled Tories about. They think they're allowed to be rich. You can only see was it thirty p Lee. Uh, you can see Jonathan Goulis. They think they're in a different planet. They think they're above ordinary people. Uh, and some of them, I think they're above ordinary people. And I think it was uh, Donald Trump's money, uh, mother rather, said so accurately, only little people pay taxes. And I yeah. think that's their view. So they want to get 30 million for crap P PE at one end and then 5 million for destroying it. Uh, yeah, but yeah. who's going to pay for that? Well, taxpayers, but as long as it's not them. So I just yeah, think yeah. there is now a total disconnect within the high command of the Tory party and reality. And I think there was one of the parody accounts online of Rishi Sunak that said, it's a good job Naheem Zawi hadn't over hadn't overclaimed on his on his um on his benefits, otherwise he'd be in jail <laughs> by now. And, that, and that's yeah. true. It's it, it's it just it's just that disconnect. Interesting article today uh, about this. There are far more people looking at benefit claimants than there are about tax fiddlers. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't think anyone should fiddle, so I'm not condoning any of it. But the money you get back by stamping out benefit fraud is nothing like you'll get back by stamping out tax fraud. And I think it's a five to one difference. And I was very impressed 
uh, not only with Sarah Olney yesterday, but the the man from HMRC. Uh, he's worth his weight in gold. And if we had 10 more like him or a 1,000 more like him, we could afford to pay for our hospitals. Absolutely. And that, again, leads us to our next... Oh, uh, brilliant, thing. you know. This was all, all done about, deliberately. It is. We, we've almost <laughs> planned this. Um, is, a, is a talking about the NHS crisis and public services crisis is probably more, more widely. Mm. Now, just to let... Uh, viewers and listeners know we have a special NHS crisis podcast that's going to be recorded in a couple of weeks where we've got Daisy Cooper MP coming on we've got doctors and we've got people involved in social care coming on to give a really excellent kind of at the point episode all about this uh, the NHS crisis because it has now become Richard the top issue according to polling that the, the people care about more the economy more than inflation more than whatever at the moment uh, the NHS and how it's struggling, and it, it, it's just at the moment. I, I was driving down to a job for work, and it, as you do, and you, know, you, you drive along and you start thinking about stuff. And there's all these podcasts and news stories about the NHS in crisis. I thought, if I got in an accident now, I don't know how long it would take for me to actually get seen in a hospital, and that's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. We, we had a, a debate about this in the uh, City Council in Liverpool on Wednesday. Uh, and actually, uh, as we usually do on issues like that, we voted together uh, on all the issues. Uh, first of all, uh, on where the NH is now. NHS rather is now. Uh, and I offered to go as a, a token with the other party leaders on the council to join a picket line. Uh, because uh, these are people who are being maligned because they might kill people, trying to keep a service going at a patchy level that will kill people. So I know whose side of that argument I'm on, and if some people don't like it, tough. But the other thing uh, we then agreed on was an amendment that uh, uh, I moved uh because my colleague was going to move it. Incidentally, I was run. Uh, his father was run over by a car last week and is seriously ill in hospital. So I can say that for Rob McAllister Bell's father, the NHS worked and worked quickly and efficiently. Um, but what we said was that look, if you look at who's in hospital, that's the acute cases. More than ten percent. Uh, have problems with obesity. That's 14 different problems that that raises. More than 10% have problems with addiction. Uh, and more than 10% have uh, problems getting out of hospital when they're fully fit. If we could deal with those three problems, then we could close hospitals down. We'd have more beds than we need, or we could fill the beds we've got with less priority uh, cases. At the moment, you have to be almost dying to get into a hospital. Uh, and we agreed uh, that uh, unanimously that we've got to be proactive about health. So part of that is to say, I love the NHS. I was born into it and I'll die at the end of it. Uh, I'm being served by the NHS all my life, uh, I hope. But that doesn't mean to say the NHS and its priorities don't have to change. Yeah, and the, the, there'll be a wider issue probably coming up to the next general election about whether it's the Tony Blair and Gordon Brown in '97 mantra, it's uh, you know money with reform and how that how we do that with the NHS. But I mean, it, I mean on the on the very real statistics, and I don't know if uh, listeners caught this statistic that 2022 was the worst year for excess deaths in 50 years. 
650,000 people died in excess deaths because of the, you know, various stress. And that's, and in, we can get blinded by numbers. You can think of, oh, what, what does that actually mean? That's the, basically the population of Liverpool and Preston combined be not, not existing. And that is, that is truly frightening. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget who most of those people are. They're poor people. So if you look at white or any any colour, actually, middle class, university lecturers, professionals, their lifespan hasn't really been affected unless they were unlucky enough to catch COVID, which, of course, is one of the symptoms uh, of, the, uh, of the problem you described. Uh, but most people die are dying early because of poverty. It's the mental stress. It's the physical stress of poverty. It's living in appalling housing. It's having no aspiration, no chance of getting a decent job and a decent lifestyle. That's the killer. Uh, and that goes back to the motion that we moved. This is all about the social determinants of health. Uh, our doctors can only work so many miracles. Our bodies wear out. We need to keep people fit as long as possible so they face retirement in good conditions so they can have a, a happy third age. But if they've got uh, morbid obesity uh, at the age of 11, they're going to have a miserable life and an expensive life for the NHS. So thing, things have, have got to change. And and my concern, we've just been, I've just been doing the interview with Tom Morrison for his uh, his special on his fight to become Cheadle's next MP, and we were talking about how the Tories may kind of fudge numbers, but doesn't actually tackle the problem. So we were talking about policing in this instance. So we saw they might say actually we've recruited X amount of police officers, but if they fired the support staff to make the budgets work, then those police officers aren't on the front line where we want them. They're doing the work, the support staff. And usually support staff that could probably do the job better because they were trained in it. Yeah. And so they'll say, oh, you know, yes, look at this, marvellous. But actually, we know that crime statistics are going the wrong way. We know that really important crimes, whether it's rape and burglary, are almost to the point where they're, they're, they're never caught. So how, or let alone convicted. Um, and so I think that and at some point... The British public, you know, you can't, you can't, the Tories can't sugarcoat it in any point. There's no way when they come to the next election, when people know on the ground the NHS is struggling and, you know, articles about ambulance waiting times or the fact that crimes are happening and police officer isn't coming around for, for weeks before it actually gets soy. Yeah. You know, the, the real life thing, the lived reality is very different. Yes, and I think that's the reason why the Tories are doing so badly in the polls. They can say what they like. But I doubt there's anyone now who hasn't who who doesn't know someone who spends a lot of time in A and E. I bet there's no one in a street which hasn't had a burglary. Uh, now some of those would have happened anyway, but the reality is now more important than the figures. You can always manipulate uh, figures. What you can't do is to change people's perception based on the reality of their communities, their family, and their friends. Uh, and uh, th that that is something that I don't think Sunak can turn around uh, when we turn to this topic of conversation, uh, because it's ingrained now. Uh, they need to be out of office for people to forget them. Yeah, then yeah. they build again. 
and we've just, been doing it since 1906 of course yeah <laughs> in many ways Richard you've just echoed Rod Stewart you know you and Rod Stewart are are, are very similar gorgeous voices beautiful wives all, all the rest of it um <laughs> But he, I mean, he, he basically he rang up, I think it was Sky News yesterday, and said yeah. he's been a Tory supporter for ages, but they need yeah, a period of time. And actually, Ken yeah. Clark, I think, said the same thing. Yes, uh, and, and it's true, and it's interesting, 12 years. Which is the last government we know, effectively, that lasted 12 years, and then people got sick of it? The Labour yeah, Party. Yeah, so I think you're good for 12 years. Uh, the only place, that, and that often applies in local government uh, as well, except that in local government, there are these dominions of Labour or Conservatives uh, who, where the tide ebbs and flows, but it never flows uh, far beyond their feet and doesn't, uh, doesn't yeah. actually sweep them out. But I think people are very tired uh, of the Tories. Uh, no one believes a word they say, even if they're saying it. I, I mean, I had... Uh, I can't remember who it was now, but a really cogent government minister on, and I thought to talking sense, but I suspect no one was listening to him. Mm. That's right, that's right. And so you you raised the thing, of, um, the topic of can the Tories turn this around? Now, what what's interesting is, just to go into some of the polling, because again, we see some of this polling, which I, I, I keep on reiterating <laughs> to people, you know, look beneath the actual figures and it isn't as clear cut you know some people are saying like labor's going to get a 400 odd something odd seat I, I mean i don't think they will i don't and other or, or like a, a 200 and something odd majority they're not going to get that for me i just don't think the numbers are there um uh but what's what's interesting in these ones because yeah the i mean the polling's is horrendous for the Tories. There's no, I'm not, yeah. I've got no reason to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to, is the fact that the polling looks horrendous. But if you dig into it, there are still, they haven't, Labour haven't yet won over those people on in any sort of vast scales. And actually, one of the, the key concerns, and I do, I, I know, I recommend good podcasts other than this one. So the Times Red Box always does their monthly focus group. And yesterday, theirs came out. And again, there's a genuine lack of trust in Keir Starmer. He's he's better than he's better than Rishi Sunak, but Sunak is polling far above what the Tory party is. So if the next election comes down to a presidential type contest, which inevitably it kind of will, because we know personality politics comes into it, there's a tiny slither of daylight there for the Tories and a way they might do it. But there's a long time between now and then, Richard, and including one, maybe two sets of local elections, where if the Tories get annihilated, can Sunak survive? Yes, well, uh, as I said before, the only reason I wish there were Tory councillors in Liverpool <laughs> is that we could get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, That's right. I, I really wish that, uh, I really hope that the Lib Dems are going to do very well this time, and I'm sure they will. And that links also to, to the polls. Uh, if, if you're um, uh, just asked the question, uh, who do you want to be the next government? They, uh, uh, people will automatically fall between the two main camps, as it were, unless you're in, in Scotland. Uh, but then they come back to their own area and say, well, the Labour Party doesn't exist here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think of uh, places like Wokingham, where there are yeah. three Labour uh, and we're clearly, I think, in, in a very good chance of, of taking uh, the, the, the seat there. Uh, and then people look at the, well, you know, we're not looking at Keir Starmer or uh, Sunak. 
we're looking at who's going to be the MP here. And at the moment, it's showing us with 16 seats, the same sort of poll. I don't believe that. Uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to form the next government. Sorry about this, all the Lib Dems who watch this. But I think (laughs) we're going to do much better than that because people will come to a series of low decisions, uh, local decisions. I I would put money on that young Morrison getting in. So, um, yeah, we said that, and that will be that will be my job. uh, Come uh, the general, the next general election, I will be in Cheadle, making sure my nearest target seat wins, and that for me is getting Tom Morrison, you know, and for us, and again, there'll be Lib Dems frustrated with this, and I had, again, someone on Facebook and one of the private Lib Dem groups saying, oh, if we get 40, some people seem to be happy with that, and he was thinking we were going to get 100, 200, and we're not going to get 200 seats. We're not, it's just not, It. it we don't have the manpower in a first-past-the-post system to do that. Um, so so our goal in the northwest will be to go from our one MP, which is Tim Farron, to maybe three. You know, yeah. get and and I think and that's where we because how many times have we overtaken? And actually, there's an article on the BBC saying we are we've got to learn the lessons from 2019 and other things where if we spread our net too widely, we win bugger all. Uh, absolutely, uh, we um, we've got to be realistic. Uh, I think the obvious ones to go for are in uh, the northwest are uh, uh, Cheadle and uh, Hazel Grove. Uh, it is, yes, it is. Uh, we've got two superb uh, candidates there. Uh, if we get three, we can start to build up and look forward for, to six or eight. Um, yeah. And I will be spending most of my time in the two Stockport uh, constituencies uh, as well, both of whom I think are eminently winnable with eminently good people. And if you do your standard uh, thing now about local elections and how everyone needs to be on the doorstep and what have you yeah obviously yeah i mean people want to i mean you've seen our uh if anyone hasn't seen them go watch our uh episode on canvassing we've just read it me and richard did one in 2019 before we knew about video <laughs> conferencing <laughs> so we've done an updated one for 23 do go watch it because i i am a, a huge believer in canvassing but also what i am also a huge believer in is making campaigning fun and enjoyable to do and so richard's just said he's going to be in stockport I'm going to be in Stockport fighting. You know, if we are at all sensible and coordinated, which might not happen, is that me and Richard should meet up. We should actually meet up, have a meal, have a drink, talk to your Lib Dem family uh, and actually get there. And that's why by-elections are so intoxicating. Yeah. Because, you know, I was talking to one of my councillors who, you know, is more interested in national stuff rather than local. It's just the way he's kind of wired. And he said he loved North Rockshire. He loved every second of it because he felt part of a team doing something bold and big. And the general election and campaign for a general election is one way you can do it. Yeah, I mean, it can be a bit lonely, can't it, back in your ward or constituency? Um, you, You go out, perhaps you've got three activists Perhaps across your borough, you might have 20 activists and another 50 people who deliver for you. Uh, that's not actually all that many less than some of our opponents have. Uh, but they've got uh, a, a committed vote going back into posterity, or at least three or four generations. And they got more money to buy airtime in, in, on Facebook and, and leaflets and things like that. Uh, but it can be a, a lonely business. But in a way, that's 
part of the fun. Uh, as you know, we're going down to single member constituents uh, wards in Liverpool now. And I think it's marvellous uh, that uh, I can go out and just meet people who might or might not vote for me, I hope they will, within 10 minutes of where I live in a self-contained ward and create a presence there. And if we go on much longer, I should start waving to all the little girls and their parents who go past the window, because <laughs> just to say that it isn't any peculiar because it is home time at Dovedale Road School. It is. Um, so that's that's where the Lib Dems are going. And I think there is not, I'm, you know, I'm, I am generally a glass half full person. I think there's an opportunity for Lib Dems, but... My my caveat to that is you've got to bloody work for it, you know. And Absolutely. Richard's been as successful as it has been for the last, you know, seventy years as a councillor because uh, steady on, steady on. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, what did I say? Did I say seventy? Seventy um, years as a councillor. I am not ninety-one. <laughs> do I look it? Any, any, could we do a poll on whether I? Look yeah, it? we'll do a poll on that, and we'll see. You might not. You might not like polls, you know. <laughs> um, but what's what's interesting is just. The opportunity is there, and whether we can grasp it, but you've, we've got to be, you know, pragmatic about it as well. But let's. And one thing that one of the other big news stories that's happened is obviously in the last few days is about the Ukraine, and obviously uh, with spring and warmer weather coming, obviously the fighting will intensify. That has actually slowed down somewhat over winter, as it does in Eastern Europe. Um, and what, I, 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 this was a question because obviously the tanks issue has just come up. You know, Britain, Germany. Uh, and America sending tanks and Germany releasing that because there was, you know, clauses in the tank contracts Germany had signed with other countries that the Germany had right of where they were used. It's quite it's a quite a complicated issue. But basically that has been sorted out is whether the Ukraine and the the ongoing support for their defence efforts will become a political topic in the UK. And I'm, I'm interested in this because at the moment, I think it's pretty much other than a few crackpots like Jeremy Corbyn who thinks, you know, we should just get Russia around the peace table at the moment. And, you know, I mean, he, he, he's, he's so dippy, it's unbelievable and just devoid mm. from reality. But do you think as we have to spend more money on defence in terms of supplying arms, etc., this will become a politically contentious issue Richard uh probably not um it'll only become a contentious issue as it did I think in Afghanistan if British soldiers soldiers start dying uh in it uh you know you send 14 challenger tanks to Ukraine uh what does that mean in terms of my NHS or my school or my roads or my 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 whatever it is you're discussing uh, I think if uh, we were to do uh, a poll, I'm coming up with all these ideas for polls now, um, uh, people would say they're on the side of Ukraine. I think, confronted with the arguments, they would vote for tanks and, and the other support, except for some obvious people. I can really understand, though, the German dilemma on this, mm. uh, because the last time German tanks went into that Poland-Ukraine area, they were on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, and Russia, yeah, Russia's played up on that as well. Yeah, no, it, that, well, the whole of Ukraine's full of Nazis, uh, apparently, according to yeah. Putin. So I could understand that, but I think the moral argument is clear, although we've got to accept that there are risks to it. Does this increase... Uh, the targeting of our country because of us providing extra help. I'm particularly thinking of that because 
in uh, in May, Liverpool will become a major Ukraine city because mm. we will be hosting the Eurovision Song Contest on behalf of Odessa. Now, I think the risks are minimal, but what does that mean to us? Do I would certainly say we have to be on our guard, and I'm sure that uh, the security services, the police, etc., have got that in mind. But the moral argument is true. It's absolutely clear uh, to me. Uh, either you give in to a bully or you fight the bully because bullies always bully. It's all they've got in their DNA. Tories are greedy. Putin is a bully. Yeah, and I think, I think again, as I'm on a, a chat with a well-meaning bloke, not someone who, of the Corbynista kind of naivety, but he, he was just saying, okay, where when where does this end? You know, the 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 risk of escalation kind of comes into it, and I'm, my argument came down to the fact that you're not dealing with rational actors in terms of uh, Putin. You know, if if you were to give Putin what he wants. There's no chance he wouldn't take more. He would absolutely be looking with evil eye into all sorts of different areas. Yeah, all you've the Baltic states. Yeah, you've got to make this stand. Now, what becomes interesting, and no one's really answered the question, is if I mean, Zelensky and the Ukrainians have want to take Crimea back, and and the, and one of the uh, on the news agents podcast they had a, a tank uh, commander on there saying the 200 tanks that they'll probably get combined from all the different sources, would be perfect to take back Crimea. How that then goes with a more... Because Crimea has a generally more Russian-supportive population than Ukraine as a whole. How yeah. how complex does that get? But it's these are these are things that we have no idea about at the moment because, you know, foreign press doesn't get into the Crimea. No, absolutely. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, people who were of Ukraine descent rather than Russian descent are now no longer in the Crimea. They left in 2014-15. Uh, uh, but we, we should acknowledge the uh, element of risk. War is always risky. But every day on my Twitter feed, there are pictures of young uh, Ukraine men and women uh, going off to fight that day, uh, doing something, uh, and there are pictures uh, later of the heroes who have died, uh, and that always strikes home to me. They're not fighting a battle for Ukraine in total, they're fighting a battle for us. That is our eastern frontier, and they're defending it on our behalf. And that's why we should support those who are prepared to die for us every bit as much as for the Ukraine. Absolutely. I I, I, I don't know what to say, Richard. You've, you've just, it, that was almost like perfect, perfect answer to, to that, because it, it is right. I mean, it's, too, it's all too easy for us to let it be someone else's problem, but it is our problem. It's all our problem. Um, yeah, it, it is indeed. Uh, and, and we're going to round off this episode with a problem. Again, we're heading back home now because one of the things we've talked about, another big scandal that's uh, come back is over the BBC and public appointments. Um, now, I love, so I, don't, I can't remember which journalist uh, came up with it, but someone came up with the phrase long Boris syndrome as opposed to long COVID syndrome, <laughs> uh, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. The fact that Every time Sunak tries to get clear of something, Boris kind of rears his head and hurts him again. Now, yeah. I, I, I mean, we can go. I don't really want to go into the details of the BBC one because, again, I think most people know. But it's the fact of the matter of it just doesn't smell right. The fact is, and I th and I do wonder, Richard, whether the Lib Dems. It's not going to be a massive vote-winning uh, topic. 
whether or not there needs to be far more stringent rules on politically based people getting uh, public jobs and public appointments. And it's not just the BBC. You're talking about regulators and other such kind of quasi areas where political appointees are put there. Uh, and obviously the BBC is very high profile because you had someone being the director of news and now the chairman both being for, and this isn't new, you know, Labour mm-hmm. did it with Greg Dyke and people like that, but whether the the rules seem to be changing around politics and the, the old good chap thing, doing the right thing, has been weakened so much under Johnson, whether or not we need to have be really stringent, actually. So someone like myself should never be in, become the chairman of the BBC because I'm a politically affiliated person. And I have been, whether it's through activism or donations or whatever. How do we clear that up, Richard? Well, I think if we take the BBC, you mentioned Greg Dyke. The difference between Greg Dyke and the person who's there now is Greg Dyke did come from the industry. Mm. Um, and I think that may be a justification uh, to some extent because you don't want a total novice being in charge of a, a of an organisation like that. Uh, and the Tories always think that I'm a business person and Charlie knows how to run a company, and they think they can apply that to the uh, private sector, uh, and they can't. Uh, where I disagree with you is that uh, it by itself it's not a particular issue, but link it to sleaze and it becomes an issue. Uh, goes back to the House of Lords. How did Baroness moan? Is that if that's the right way to say? It? I'll it moan about her anyway. Uh, yeah, no, you're very right. Here, uh, how did uh, the person who owns the Independent and the Evening Standard become a peer? It's all yeah. a matter of money in the right place at the right time and sometimes it's those very visible appointments to places like the house of lords that mean more because there's someone who's paid to become a legislator yeah but i think we need much more stringent rules so i'm going to go into something that isn't lib dem policy at the moment but i think should be lib dem policy there should be a maximum that any individual or organisation can put into a political party. I think you mentioned yeah. this on our last podcast, actually, yeah. Oh, did I? Well, in that case, I'm being consistent. Well, there, well there. <laughs> uh, but um, and, and Labour won't vote for that because that would damage their uh, 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 relationship with the unions. But I think that um, unless there are things like legacies where people can obviously leave some money and there, but there can be no influence exerted mm. there, you should say top whack five thousand, perhaps twenty five thousand for an organisation. Now to do that, if you do that, you would have tremendous confidence over a period of time from the people of Liverpool. You would tremendously clear up the money because. People don't don't want to be chair of the BBC for money. They want to do it for prestige. And if you can't buy prestige, uh, then you'd have to work bloody hard like you. Perhaps they'd be out delivering in touch or whatever uh, the the Tories uh, call it. I can't (laughs) see that happening. Uh, But I just think that uh, having more restrictions on political donations would clear up a lot of the sleaze in, in a wide variety of ways. We ought to get Ed Davey on and we can put that question to him. 
He's he's coming on soon, apparently. <laughs> T Ben is he's gonna he's gonna do a, a, another appearance on the pod, and we will ask many far-reaching questions of him. Or we'll probably let Hannah or one of the ladies ask him. Oh yeah, we're we're too nice. We're, we're, too, we're way too nice. They're brutal. Um, yeah. No, but Richard, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for coming on today. I think, that, like I say, there's so much going on, we'll, and we'll keep up to it. We've got loads of really good podcasts coming up on all sorts of topics because. You know, a week is a very long time in politics at the, at the moment with what's going on. And obviously, we've got the run-up to the local elections. People are getting up. Make sure you've got... What are your tips right now that people should be doing for the local elections, Richard? Oh, it's my turn, is it? It's knock yeah. on doors, deliver leaflets, and be highly visible in your community. Work hard, and uh, then you'll have that orgasmic thrill on election night when they say in a hushed tone uh john potter brackets liberal democrat so 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 and the whole room cheers because that means with your 900 votes or 1200 votes you've won and there's no greater experience to me uh than beating the labor party in liverpool on election night I was going to say, just make sure you've got candidates, but you jump right to the end of the video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know about you. I'm a leader. I don't deal with the, the boring bit. Uh, but uh, <laughs> on a, a general point about candidates, my understanding is that all the political parties are having difficulty getting local government candidates uh, at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say we're struggling, but we've still got one or two wards, if anyone from Liverpool is listening to this. Uh, that we that are winnable that we need people for, and I think it's a general lethargy in society because I'm noticing from the charity stuff I do, and I, I know other community groups are struggling for the the volunteers that have naturally done it all for for years and decades, and you know that that five ten percent of people that do that kind of stuff yeah. uh, they, that has dropped off since COVID, and I do, and political participation will be part of that as well. Um, so by all means, you know go speak to your members go uh you know i i chatted to one person who contacted me on twitter and i sent him a little personal message and he said he might be interested in doing it at some point in the future little things like that you can do um just because and you know what there's no harm in it all they can say is no and then you're right back where you were anyway so well, what we're going to do in liverpool this is a sneak preview we did agree to do it last night is we've produced a manifesto uh, which is the most detailed manifesto we've ever done, but most people won't read that. So we're yeah. doing a three-page, four-page uh, thing. But then we're sending out to everyone we've got an email address for. We're going to have a Facebook campaign, et cetera, et cetera, to say here are the 10 things that we think are the most urgent. Which do you want to prioritise for Liberal Democrat councillors to do? So we think that that will appeal to thinking people. Uh, it's not as good as knocking on a 1,000 doors, but we can talk to 10,000 people that way. Yeah. And we think that thinking people say, hmm, I'll, I'll I'll accept that challenge or a reasonable number. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Richard. Thank you to all our listeners and viewers who have made it to the end of our wonderful uh, show this week. Um, don't forget to check us out on social media at Lib Dem Pod. 
make sure you check out Richard and myself as well. Thank you very much also to our Patreon subscribers who throw us a little bit of money every month. We very much appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, anything, do let us know as well. If you'd like to see us on a topic, maybe we would like to do an episode on recruiting candidates. Maybe we should do that. Let's talk to some of the, the Lib Dems who have been very good at it. What makes a good uh, campaign pitch for getting people active in politics? In fact, we will go do some research on that now and we will do that episode. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Have a lovely weekend. See you soon. <laughs>